Hello, and welcome back to Autism Annex, the Star Support Podcast. I'm John Andrew Slominski. Today's episode looks both backward and forward. We discuss the challenges of teaching and learning during the global pandemic of 2020-2021, and we look at the many opportunities for growth that we have been afforded during this difficult time. I am especially grateful to my guests for taking the time to reflect on their experiences and to offer perspectives on the world of special education going forward. Today, you will hear from conversations between me and Lillian Gonzalez, Alicia Balfrey, and Nate Marsden, all teaching professionals with a combined experience of over half a century. Thank you for joining us. Lillian, welcome to Autism Annex, and thank you for joining us today. Would you please introduce yourself so that listeners can get to know you better? Sure. Um, my name is Lillian, and I am currently working as a special a special educator at AHRC Middle High School. I have been um, working with children on the autism spectrum for approximately 24 and a half years. Lillian, you've seen so much over the last 24 and a half years, and congratulations, by the way. Um, what changed in the school year of 2020, and how did you have to adjust? Well, um, initially it was, you know, learning through a different modality. Um, usually how we work with our students, it's mostly in small groups and through discrete trial teaching. So now we were asking them uh, to, you know, work um, using technology and to attend um, to, to the teachers, you know, and, and, and participate in, in the curriculum. So that was initially, um, you know, pretty challenging for, for, for them and, and everyone else involved. But uh, they adapted rather quickly, faster than I anticipated, for sure. And as a teacher, how much time did you have to prepare for that new model of teaching and learning? And what sorts of adjustments did you have to make? Uh, right. At first, uh, for, for us, the teachers, um, we had to move quickly. We only had um, truly one day to get everything that we needed from our classrooms to bring home. So that was um, especially challenging. Um, we had one full day to um, learn the technology um, and then one full day to transition from, from uh, the Lynx curriculum to SOULS. So uh, that, was a, that was a little challenging and, and you know, I would have to say you know, a little scary um, at first because we weren't sure how we were going to do all of these things. We, we also had to um, reach out to the parents and try to figure out their schedules and, and, and see when we could um, schedule sessions for, for the kids and, and make sure that, you know, that the kids, you know, would be able to, you know, use the technology to be able to participate. Now, at this sort of pivotal moment between teaching and learning in person and then teaching and learning remotely, there must have been some uh, really difficult challenges that parents and families experienced. Could, uh, could you tell us a little bit about what you saw? Oh, sure. Um, we had some parents that were essential workers. So that was that was difficult for them to um, create the time to, to be able to sit with their child um, during sessions. Um, but specifically with my students, they're um, high support kids. So they would, you know, every day that we would meet, they would need a caregiver um, sitting next to them to help them attend and to help them respond. Um, and there was also... Um, you know, taking directions from somebody else on how to teach their child, which um, 
there were champs about um, in the beginning, but I'm sure it wasn't comfortable for them for us to sit there and be like, oh, you know, you may not be doing this the right way. Can we try something else? You know, make sure that, you know, you have some reinforcers, you know, so um, I know at first I felt um, slightly intimidated. So I'm sure that they, that they also felt um, the same way. And during this time of enormous transition, was there also a change in the dynamic between teachers and students and families? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I think, you know, it's one thing to communicate through a communication book or through some kind of email. But um, we spent months, um, you know, looking at each other and talking to each other and, and, and trying to overcome, you know, a lot of hurdles um, during instruction. So I, I think we just kind of um, built this really deep connection and also this um, mutual respect for each other that, uh, you know, was, was, I feel a lot deeper than it been in, in previous years prior to, to the pandemic. And in this process of deepening mutual respect, as you put it very eloquently, you must have seen a side of students and their home and family life in a way that was probably different from before. Did parents and families see a sort of a, a different perspective as well? Yes, absolutely. I mean, there were some of my parents, especially when we worked on functional routines, like, uh, for instance, you know, having the kids washing dishes, having the kids, you know, vacuuming and, and doing household activities. The parents were pretty impressive, like, wow, you know, you could do this the whole time from now on, you're doing the dishes, you know, after dinner, you know, or we're going to give you more chores. So, it was, it was really nice to, to see that and to see the parents, like there was one particular family that were like, there were three of them and they were like tag team, the, the learning sessions. So, um, you know, it, it was pretty neat to see everybody just, you know, families coming together and helping out. Lillian, you have clearly found a way through this pandemic to engage deeply with students as well as their families in a way that is unique and perhaps may not have been possible without some of the challenges we've seen this year. What would you say to those who still have not yet found their stride, those uh, teachers and students and families who are still experiencing a lot of the difficulties of the past and current year? I think one important thing to, to mention um, is, is for any teacher out there who is um, you know, still struggling with remote instruction or any kind of hybrid, um, uh, you know, learning model, um, I would say, you know, hang in there um, and, and, you know, pick the brains of other teachers that have made this whole thing work. Um, that's, you know, that's what I've done. You know, I, I have a ton of experience, but I'm still learning. And when I couldn't figure out Zoom, <laughs> Or, or, or things that I needed to know, um, I, I sought help um, from my fellow teachers. And to the families, you know, I would say don't give up. We are all in this together. Um, don't hesitate to reach out to your teachers um, because chances are that, you know, that they'll be able to, to, to assist you with whatever it is that you need. 
um, for us, we were so lucky to have um, training, caregiver training and caregiver uh, videos and all of these instructions. So um, th that seemed, you know, like, um, like a really good thing. Um, and I think that's why I think we got ahead of, uh, of the game, ahead of the game, you know, more so than other schools. Um, and it was because we had all these tools. So, so I would say to everybody, hang in there. If you're just joining us, my guest has been Lillian Gonzalez, a teacher and autism specialist at AHRC in New York City. Lillian, thank you for your time today. It's been an honor. Thank you so much. My next guest, Nate Marsden, has worked in public education, particularly as an autism specialist, since 1999. He is now a training specialist for Star Autism Support, where he provides on-site consultation to teachers to implement evidence-based practices. Nate has a particular interest in advocacy for the needs of students, families, and educators. And he is engaged in ongoing work, especially through the Council for Exceptional Children, to influence local, state, and federal policy. Nate Marsden, welcome to Autism Annex. Yeah, thanks for having me. Nate, you've been actively involved in the Council for Exceptional Children, including serving on the Student Committee, the Program Advisory Committee, and the Maltreatment Policy Statement Workgroup. What can you tell us about how the CEC has responded to the pandemic over the past year? Sure. Yeah, and, and so the, the Council for Exceptional Children is the largest organization dedicated to improving outcomes for students with exceptionalities, um, but also for the profession, for families as well. Um, and I've been involved with them for about 14 years, um, and I do a lot of volunteer work with them. Uh, some, a lot of that revolves around advocacy and policy. Um, and so I kind of keep my finger on the pulse of, of what's happening, you know, at local, state, and even the federal levels. But uh, they definitely had some suggestions or recommendations um, in response to the pandemic. Um, and, and some of those uh, were really around using evidence, continuing to use evidence-based strategies. We know that we need to continue to provide education to all our students. Some of our students require specialized instruction, and it's important that we continue to provide that to those students. Um, we knew that we needed opportunities still for students to be educated with their peers as much as possible. And as much as that's been a challenge, uh, it's something that, you know, is comes to the, you know, to the forefront of the conversation a lot, because the pandemic has really thrown a wrench into that. As you have been working with students and families and teachers over the past year, what have you observed as some of the largest challenges that have needed to be overcome? I mean, across the board, you know, it's that that's been the biggest challenge, I think, or at least the most obvious challenge is um, how do we go from doing what we've done before, um, you know, when it's when that's effective and using some of those same strategies with a different format, you know, with with remote learning as opposed to in person. Um, but then then there are some other things I think that that have come to light that maybe were they were they were even issues before the pandemic. And I think the pandemic kind of exacerbated some of those issues, things like equity to uh, materials, you know, accessing materials, technology, uh, equity in instruction, those kind of things. Um, things like the way we assess students. Uh, with the pandemic, you know, we, we started to realize, um, 
you know, those standardized assessments that we use uh, kind of became one of the only measures where typically we want to use multiple measures. And and so even there, we see kind of a disparity um, for, you know, for students that would access those kind of things pretty well normally. And those students that have historically uh, had challenges with with being assessed using those kind of tools. So uh, that's that's one of the big things we've seen is just that it's kind of brought to light some of the, I, I think, those disparities that do already exist in education. You've spent a significant portion of your career plugged into the early childhood side of things. What can you tell us about the unique challenges and maybe unique situations that have been uh, impacting that segment of the population? Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've had conversations with with a lot of early childhood teachers, some, you know, you know that I'd worked with uh, in the past and some that I met through, you know, consultation uh, with STAR. But one of the challenges, you know, that they face is you know, there's so much learning that takes place in, you know, in play-based learning, you know, teaching kids to communicate, to resolve conflict, um, you know, and, and learn in those ways. And so, you know, looking at how do we do that virtually was really challenging for a lot of teachers. Um, and but again, one advantage of, of some of this is, you know, in early intervention, uh, there's a lot of collaboration with families, but even as early as preschool, we start to see that drop off a little bit. And so, again, that increased and maybe enhanced collaboration with families. We saw that kind of go up. And, um, you know, some of the strategies that we use at STAR, um, we were able to um, you know, present that and share that with families so that um, not only are we still continuing to address the needs, those developmental needs for children that age, but that their families kind of get maybe a little bit of extra uh, training and and know-how in all of those things too. Uh, so it goes back to, you know, what I was saying before, it's good for <laughs> all parties involved, but especially those, those children. You know, it seems almost easy at this point to uh, look in retrospect at the specific instances of things that have gone wrong over the past year, uh, whether that's curriculum changes or just day-to-day logistics. But zooming out to a little bit more of a broad perspective, I wonder what sorts of uh, other issues has the pandemic shed light on? In other words, what sorts of things do we now recognize as being important that we may have missed prior to this uh, really profound change? Um, I, th- I think for a lot of our students, and whether we're talking about students, you know, uh, with exceptionalities or other students, um, one thing that's, that I know has been a challenge is looking at the whole child development uh, over this time. And so uh, th- that's something I think important to keep in mind as we move forward. Um, so we're not just focusing on one or two things, but, you know, what are, what are the things we're maybe overlooking, you know, as we're looking at our checklists or, you know, checking off boxes, you know, and I, I don't mean to make it sound cold, but sometimes we're, we're looking at, okay, I want to make sure we hit all these things, but um, are we considering, you know, all areas of development? And, and I'm not just talking about early childhood. I mean, that's, that's important to consider, you know, across, uh, you know, across that whole range of students that we're, that we're working with. Are they, are they able, are they getting, you know, access to social emotional learning? Um, are we addressing those needs? Because especially in, in the time of a pandemic, we know that that was a major concern and is a concern, but we also knew before the pandemic that that was too. So uh, again, you know, a lot of the areas that, that maybe, 
we didn't do such a great job uh, at addressing um, when those were exacerbated by the pandemic. I'm hoping that those things being brought to light will continue to to kind of stick with educators and say, you know what, that was important and we need to keep doing those things. My guest, Nate Marsden, is a father, a film buff, a former special education teacher, and now a training specialist for Star Autism Support. Nate, thank you so much for a really engaging conversation today. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Um, Thanks for the opportunity. My next guest is Alicia Balfrey, an autism training specialist with Star Autism Support. Alicia comes to us fresh from presenting for numerous education organizations about lessons learned from 2020 and opportunities moving forward. Welcome, Alicia, and thank you for joining us on Autism Annex. Thank you for having me. Alicia, would you begin by setting the stage for us? Tell us a little bit about where we are now and what the current thinking is when looking back at the past year of challenges. Absolutely. Um, So we've been doing a lot of reflecting on the challenges that 2020 uh, posed to us. Um, And I think we're currently still dealing with some of those challenges. But, uh, you know, I think this is also a good opportunity for us to Uh, reflect on those challenges and turn those into lessons learned. So, um, you know, using those as opportunities, not only for, you know, the 2021 school year, but also just opportunities for school years to come. And, um, you know, I think that there is something uh, unique about reflecting on these challenges. And, you know, I think a lot of us are eager to get back to um, whatever normal looks like, uh, whatever the new normal is. But at the same time, I think it's, uh, again, important to reflect on, um, well, what did we learn and how can we use that moving forward uh, rather than just assuming that going back to whatever normal is with school, um, uh, we don't want to assume that that fits the needs of all of our learners because I do think we learned some really unique things that helped us understand our learners a lot better. Take us back, if you will, to February and March of 2020. What was the mindset and what was happening in classrooms around the country at that point? You know, when schools were starting to close, I think that was a, you know, survival mode situation where everyone's like, okay, well, we don't know, you know, how to deal with this right now. And so we just kind of need to close and, and reset and have some time to regroup and think about things. But uh, that was a, a challenge, right? Our, our students really um, depend on the consistency of being in school uh, on a regular basis and the consistency of receiving instruction that supports their needs. Um, and we know that our classrooms, we have a lot of uh, control over the environment and the structure and the schedule. And so when you have students that are moving back into the home setting for learning, it's so hard to provide that same amount of structure and predictability that our students really thrive on. And so I think the change of, um, you know, learning setting was really difficult for our students uh, and change is difficult for our students as is. Um, And then change is hard for the adults too. So I think teachers trying to wrap their minds around 
um, okay, I have a teaching degree, I have a teaching license, maybe I have years of teaching experience, but no one taught me how to do remote instruction. And no one taught me, you know, I didn't have a course in grad school on distance instruction. And so that was a very um, difficult change for teachers to figure out how do I still reach my students and how do I continue that learning um, when I don't have my classroom and I'm not face to face with them. And then I think families faced a lot of challenges too, right? Because they, you know, of course their worlds were upended too and uh, school is, um, a form of childcare for them, for many families. And so having students at home um, and families having to deal with their work schedules and all of the other stressors that come with a pandemic, um, it just, I think initially it was just this really frantic, um, well, we don't know what to do. And so we're going to close, but then so many other challenges come from that. And from these many challenges, though, in our conversation, you've highlighted a number of really compelling opportunities that have also emerged. What, what are some of those? You know, I think one big opportunity that stands out to me is uh, this opportunity to connect with families a little bit more. Um, you know, when I was spending a lot of time in classrooms and working with teachers, one thing that I heard a lot was, I wish I had more time with families and I wish I had, you know, more of an opportunity to uh, talk with parents and share them, share my knowledge with them so that they can work on this stuff at home too. We know that consistency between home and school is so important, um, but there just was never the time. And I think that, again, that was perhaps a challenge uh, related to the 2020 school year, but it's a really unique opportunity uh, to reflect on, okay, perhaps the challenges of 2020 highlighted the need to work with families because they were the ones doing some of the instruction with their kids at home, um, or you know, they were the ones working on those home routines with our students. Uh, we spotlighted the, the need for that, but that is something I think we can keep the spotlight on. I mean, that's really how we continue learning for uh, our students. Um, you know, teachers have students for a limited amount of time and then they move on to other classrooms or eventually our students transition into adulthood, right? And so I think that it's really important to remember that families and parents and caregivers are those lifelong educators for their, for their children. And so the more that we can uh, continue that collaboration, uh, continue that parent coaching and training piece is just going to lead to those positive long-term outcomes with our students. As teaching and learning moved from an in-person model to very much a virtual environment, what role did you see technology begin to play? You know, technology, I think, uh, provided, um, again, a lot of hurdles for us to sort of navigate, but at the same time provided a lot of um, opportunities, um, again, not only for us to connect with families meaningfully, but also a way for us to make sure um, our content for students is really dynamic and flexible to their learning needs. Again, I think maybe if we're used to teaching in classrooms, we're used to using a certain toolbox of instructional methods, but considering how to continue using technology even after this age of distance teaching. You know, I think that if we can hold on to technology as a way to provide that dynamic instruction to our students, again, it's just going to help us reach 
more of our learners and more of their learning needs. Some of our students are really drawn to uh, things like videos and are really drawn to technology and we like to focus on strengths and interests of our students. And so if they are already, um, you know, really bought into technology, hey, why not use that as a teaching tool? Um, the other piece is too, I think that even in our classrooms now, we're starting to see a lot more technology. We see tablets, computers in classrooms. A lot of teachers have smart boards these days or other ways to display digital information. And uh, so it's kind of interesting to reflect on, okay, well, if we had all these digital tools that we've been using uh, for the 2020 school year, how do we continue using those in the classroom? Um, I can present my materials on something like a smart board or with a tablet with my students. Um, those materials are already made and I can still use them even for an in-person environment, but now I'm um, engaging my learners in other ways and in some ways really playing to their strengths because a lot of our kids are really good with technology. Now, you mentioned integrating technology into teaching and learning in a way that is really effective. What about for hybrid learning in which teaching and learning is taking place in a combination of remote and in-person environments? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, I think that hybrid piece as well, again, we still, if we have students that are engaging in that hybrid instruction, we have to continue relying on technology. Um, but yeah, in person, it's been really exciting to see some teachers getting creative with, okay, um, I've been using, you know, my soul's uh, digital curriculum materials for remote instruction, but hey, I really liked this lesson plan, or I really liked this group activity, or we really liked these videos or these other supports. So I'm going to use those in my classroom with my students, and it's still going to be high quality instruction. Looking towards the future and the fall of 2021 and the dawn of a brand new school year, what are you looking forward to the most? Well, I will say I'm personally, I'm excited to see students again. Um, I really miss being around students and, and around educators. And so I look forward to being able to be in person again, again, as rewarding as it has been to continue the support in a virtual format. Uh, I really miss being in the classroom and seeing students. Um, but again, another thing that I'm looking forward to seeing more of just in general with education is this focus on um, you know, the way that we support our students doesn't have to be one size fits all. Uh, and again, the name of the game in special education is individualizing those supports, but really focusing in on and saying, how can we, um, how can we do that in a really meaningful way by using technology, by connecting with caregiver, care, caregivers, by, um, differentiating our instruction by being really flexible with our programming. Um, I just think that now we have a lot more ideas for how to re reach those unique needs of all of our learners. Alicia Balfrey is a Eugene, Oregon-based autism training specialist with Star Autism Support. Alicia, thank you so much for spending time with us today on Autism Annex. Uh, this has just been such a fun experience. I'm very excited to have been involved and um, I've been really enjoying all of the episodes. So I'll be listening. And remember to subscribe to Autism Annex to receive updates on future episodes. As always, you can find us online on Instagram at Star Autism Support and on Twitter at SAS underscore autism. 
Thank you for listening to Autism Annex, the Star Support Podcast. We're glad to have you with us. Thanks as well to all of my guests today, Lillian Gonzalez, Nate Marsden, and Alicia Balfrey. Autism Annex was developed by Star Autism Support. Katya Merjan does work behind the scenes. Sheila McGee provides consultation. And Porter the Dog is this episode's animal mascot. I'm John Andrew Slominski. Until next time, take good care of yourself and one another.